The new series is called Lead Like Jesus, and this is the song, Give Us Courage. And I want to talk with you for a few moments about having the kind of courage Jesus had. Lead like Jesus and lead courageously. If you have a Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 4. We'll be in chapters 4 and 5 this morning. And when we talk about leadership, no matter where we are around the world, you can't talk about leadership for very long without talking about Jesus, the greatest leader of all time and of all places. He was hands down the number one leader influence in all of life. If you don't include him in the discussion, you're going to miss out on a whole bunch of not only great content, but great values of leadership. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus in personal faith, you can't deny his leadership capabilities. Jesus was influential in his life. He was influential immediately following his life after his death. And then he was influential for hundreds and hundreds of years after Rarely does that ever happen. Some people are popular, but not until they die. They're popular maybe at their life, but then other people are popular right after they die. We realize how important their life or their impact was. Other people, it takes us a bit of a, of a, of a season for us to realize the value. So sometimes when um, some people are not popular until their death, it's like artists. Some artists are never really rich until they're dead. The value of the artwork goes up, or authors in particular. Others, it's, it, it seems to be right after their death is when the popularity rises. And some, it, like inventors or pioneers, we realize what they gave to us in their invention or what they discovered, it happens to occur to us maybe 50 or 100 or 200 years after they've lived, like the, like the discovery of a land or development of an invention, like the light bulb. Madame Curie and her research work and discovery work. Uh, but even still, oftentimes when those people have popularity, even if, if it happens 100 years later, it's what we call the 15 seconds of fame. It's you know them for one particular thing, like the light bulb, you know to be Thomas Alva Edison, George Washington Carver with, with his inventions in science in, in, the, in the chemistry and labs and agriculture. You know him for that moment, but you don't know his whole life. We know the Wright brothers because they flew an airplane at Kitty Hawk, but what you don't know is their whole life. All you know is their 15 seconds of fame. For instance, most people don't know, actually the Wright brothers owned a bike shop that was in Dayton, Ohio. Actually, they, when they would assemble parts to that airplane, it was in the back of a bike shop, and then when they tried it, they went outside of Dayton to, to try their experiments out in a field that had cows in it. Can you imagine what the cows were thinking? And then there was a train that came by. The train would actually stop and watch them work on the plane, this new contraption. And, and lots of things you just don't know about the Wright brothers. They had a sister, actually, who was the bookkeeper, who was the brains behind them, really. Um, and uh, their, their dad was a pastor. How did two very innovative people come out of that home, right? Coming out of a preacher's kid. They're, they are preacher kids. And so there's a lot of things you don't know about them. All you know about them is Kitty Hawk and they flew a plane. That's true. But you don't know the whole story of their life. You know just the snapshot, just the 15 seconds. What we know about Jesus is different. He was popular and had influence during his life. He was extremely popular after his life, after his death and resurrection. That popularity did not wane. And yet for hundreds of years later, he's still the most influential character in all of human history. And we don't know just his 15 seconds of fame. And people do know him for Christmas or for Easter, his birth or his death upon a cross. But th there are things we know about Jesus that you don't know about most uh, popular leaders. For instance, we know about his, not only his birth, but his lineage and his growing up. And then we know about his teaching. We know about who he spent time with. 
We know about those small miracles and then the big ones. We know about the large crowds and the small discussions. All of that is in print. We have in print when he would heal someone and then he would say, by the way, don't tell anybody. And they went out and told people and it's in a book. Can you imagine that person showing up in heaven? Jesus walking up with hands on hips saying, I thought I told you not to tell anybody. I tried not to, Jesus, but it was so incredibly great. Yeah, and the, and the word spread. Now it's in the, the Bible, which is the best-selling book of all times. So the story of Jesus does not go away. He is recognized in every stage of history uh, during his life, immediately after, and then for, for decades, centuries after. He has what we call staying power. And here's the interesting thing about Jesus. He never wrote a book. He never owned a business. He never traveled outside of his homeland uh, region, except at his birth. His, his parents picked him up and escaped just to keep him alive. He never ran for office. He never really owned a company. He never had a, um, a board of directors or a company. The only company he kept was a ragtag team of uh, uh, 12 disciples. Uh, and, and yet his influence today and throughout all of history cannot be measured. Some people talk about um, leadership and and we talk about leading or they define leadership they use the word influence that's not a bad term um, that's probably a pretty good definition leadership is influence wh who you have influence over and other people define leadership as when you have followers if you have followers then you are a leader I like John Maxwell's backhanded definition if you think you're a leader and no one's following you're simply taking a walk yeah. So there are people who think they're leaders or who have the office of leader but really aren't leading because they aren't doing the job of a leader. And you see some of the best students in leadership will tell you that that influence, that followership, those are that's critical and 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 what we have in Jesus is this. We have the greatest leader of all times. And I want to talk to you about his courageous kind of style of leadership, but he had more people in more corners of the world and more generations. So this isn't just something that happened for a, a phase or for a century or for a, a region or a, or a group of people. It was for all people in all places. He seemed to have an answer no matter what the crisis or challenge was of the day. He's not only a great leader, though. He's a great model. His leadership style was to show and tell. His, his leadership style was to live out the calling that he expected his followers to have. So he has a true kind of authentic... Uh, sincere. He, he, this guy's credible. There is a real piece of integrity to him because he's a role model. He's not just telling you what, he's showing you what. And he gave people time. He modeled what he expected. He modeled patience. He embodied wisdom. And all while he was holy. Never lost his holiness, even while working with very unholy people. So not only was he a great leader, he was a great model, but that's not all. He was also a great mentor. He took people under his tutelage that you and I would never have taken under tutelage. We would never have spent time with the so-called unimportant people that Jesus did. And when he assembled a team, it's not a team that any of us would have picked. If you could pick your cabinet members, these, the 12 followers that Jesus had, are not, that's not the team that we probably would have picked. And he changed the whole next generation of people using those 12. That was the only inner circle, really, he had. And you have to stop and think about that. Those guys came from a random uh, scattering kind of backgrounds and yet the one thing they had in common was they were followers of Jesus and after Jesus dies and they know it and he rises from the dead and they're filled with the Holy Spirit Acts chapters 1 and 2 they are not stoppable 
They will die for the cause. They will not back off. They become courageous followers. They become courageous followers. And that makes them courageous leaders. Ken Blanchard is a leadership guru and, and teaches a lot in management. He was at a seminar, actually leading a seminar in Atlanta a number of years ago. And he had with him a Pastor John Ortberg, who's from the Menlo Park Presbyterian Church in, uh, in California. So he's talking with John about, and by the way, John Ortberg's a great author. You read his stuff, it's really good material. He's asking John, so Jesus was a good leader, and John Ortberg says he was the best. And Ken says, well, how do you define that? How, how, how can you defend that he's the best leader? And I, I love Ortberg's response. I need to read it to you because it's, it's so word for word good. Let's assume for a moment, Ortberg says, let's assume for a moment that 2,000 years ago you were a gambler. I know a number of you don't like gambling, but hang with me for the moment. Let me ask you, who would have you bet your money on to last? The Roman Empire and the Roman army or a Jewish rabbi? with 12 inexperienced followers. Who would you put your money on? Orberg asked. Everyone smiled when John said, isn't it interesting, all these numbers of years later, and we're still naming our children, Matthew, James, Sarah, and Mary. And we call our dogs Nero and Caesar. (laughs) I rest my case. Isn't that good? Yeah, the Roman Empire didn't last but the followers of Jesus did. He was a great, not only leader and great model, but a great mentor. He showed us how to do it and taught us well, but that's not all. He was a great trainer as well. He ran us through and those first disciples through the school of tough knocks, the school of faith. He taught these guys to pray, taught these guys to talk to God who's in heaven, our Father who's in heaven. Hallowed, you are holy hallowed be your name you are holy i want your kingdom to come i want your agenda to be done he taught us to pray he was a great trainer he taught us to trust even in the midst of the storm and to give us perspective to give us the gold of virtue and the wealth of wisdom he taught his followers to serve and in serving that would be the hallmark of the leadership Uh, and mark chapter 10 gives it to us in one verse verse 45 and for years as a verse, I, I, just, I love to quote, still do. But Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to be a servant. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And get the context of this. This was in a power-hungry Roman Empire context. And a Gentile writing this, this is Mark writing this, where, where the political, um, the, the geographical area of the world and the political structure was to go for power and to go for control. And if you didn't um, submit, it, it was very punishable. And Jesus says, I didn't, I didn't come for all that. I didn't come to be served. I don't need to be the master and you be the servant. I, I want to be the one who does serve, and I want to give my life as a ransom. Now, the reality is you and I are never going to give our lives as a ransom. We could never pay for our own sins, not in a day or a year or a hundred years. Couldn't pay for our sins. But we can serve. And he can teach us how to serve. And, and inside that circle of faith, when we come to Jesus in faith, he teaches us to serve and to follow him. And that's what true followers do, is eventually get to this point of loving the Lord so much we can't keep it to ourselves, so we live out our faith by serving one another in love, Galatians chapter 5 says. And, but here's what I see. People will see the 
the life of Jesus, and they'll see his compassion and his kindness, they'll see his teaching and his wisdom, but rarely does anybody walk away and go, wow, what a phenomenal leader. This series is going to look at the wow, what a phenomenal leader piece. Luke chapter 4 is where he is, where we are uh, this morning, but let me give you the, the, the ramp up. Chapters 1 and 2 of Luke tell us the, the birth and kind of the Christmas story, if you will, and then his growing up years. In chapter 3, he's tempted by Satan and passes the test. By chapter 4, he's, he's already performed a few miracles, and now he walks into the synagogue. And as he walks into the synagogue, he pulls off the shelf a scroll, chapter 4, verse 18, and he reads from the scroll a passage of Isaiah. This is Old Testament. It's the Bible they had. Chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Get that. He says, I, I, I know everybody else is coming to, get, to, to work with um, the power mongers and the button pushers and the, the big players and the managers and the do-gooders, but he says, no, that's not what I'm about. The Lord's anointed me to go to the poor, get that, to go to the prisoners, to go to those who are blind, to the oppressed, and I'm going to tell them about the Lord's favor. And then when he's done reading, he takes the scroll, verse 20, and he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him. Think about that. You've ever been in a room where all the eyes are on one person? Their eyes are fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, and you can almost see him point, today that scripture is fulfilled. It is fulfilled in your hearing. He is so confident, not arrogant, but confident. He knows his job. He presses into the crowd, and he says, this is the day. That salvation is here, and he knows he's the one who's going to provide. It's not arrogance, not pride. It's just that he knows. I'll tell you this, brother and sister in Christ, if you don't know whose you are, you don't know who you are, then you don't know what, what your job is. Or, or not, not to be arrogant, but you have to know why you are there on earth, why you're placed in that job. And when you do, then you can be an impact. Then you can courageously lead. So let's skip down to chapter 5 now. Chapter 5, verse 1. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret. The people there uh, were, were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. You could feel the crowd build. And, and by the way, by this time, um, people have loved him and hated him. It's only chapter 5 of the book of Luke. There are people that are so furious, they're ready to kill him. There are other people who just love him. But he's teaching them the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats that were left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. So, verse 3, he got into one of the boats belonging to Simon. And he asked him to put it out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, stop right there. Why would he do this? Well, the crowd's getting larger, and now you can't see, but you really can't hear because his voice will only go as far as the first two or three depths of people, and then it, it fades away. So what do you do? You get away where you can get a bit of distance, a bit of buffer from the people. But then um, if you've ever been out on a lake, you know that the water can actually act like a megaphone. If you get out on a slick surface like that, it actually lets you speak to a larger crowd. We were at uh, summer camp a few years ago. 
I was in a boat out on a lake, a small lake, maybe 300-acre lake, and uh, one of my teenage daughters was on the lake uh, in a different boat and a few hundred yards away. But they were talking. We could hear them crystal clear. We knew their discussion, and I would tell it to you, but I, I don't want to die, so I'm not going to tell it to you. But that discussion in their boat came all the way across. And then it occurred to me, they can probably hear us too. So we were quiet after that. <laughs> but that's, the, that's what a lake surface will do, the, the right kind of lake. So, so what he does is a natural megaphone, kind of its own natural amphitheater. So it would only be natural when Simon, who's also called Peter, when he gets this request, okay, we can do that. So he's all, he's all game. Yeah, sure, take my boat. Yeah, slide out, get out a bit, and um, let's keep the teaching going. So pick up the passage now. Now, the, the, as the crowd grows, he finishes speaking. Uh, verse 4, he says to Simon, let's go out to deeper water, and let's let down the nets and get a catch of fish. And now you hear Simon go, okay, Jesus, you're a pretty good teacher, and um, if I'm thinking right, you're a carpenter. I'm the fisherman. I know better than you do. You can hear that kind of conflict happening. Okay? So he, he doesn't want to do this. Go back to the passage now. Simon answers, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say, I'll do it, but I'm telling you, we're not going to catch any fish. I already know this. I know how this goes. Let me take you right back to that family camp. So the kids wanted to fish, but I knew they didn't have the heart to actually kill a fish and fry it. I already knew this. I also knew that if we caught a fish, they were going to name it, and I'd have to bring it home. And it would become another pet. So I didn't want to... Right, so they want to go fishing, but we, I don't want to catch any fish. So I take them out to the middle of the lake. Wanda and I signed out a pontoon boat. You know what a pontoon boat is? We went out to the middle of the lake, and I told the kids, okay, drop your lines, let's drown some worms, you know, and let's do this thing. Well, a boat comes by and goes, you know you're in the middle of the lake. I go, yeah, I know. He goes, you know the fish are up at the weeds, right, on the edges? Yeah, I know. He goes, you're not going to catch anything. I go, thank you, you can go now. <laughs> I didn't want to catch anything because I didn't want to be the criminal who fried it up that night for dinner you know and so we stayed out in the middle of the lake because it's not going to happen there, we're not going to catch any fish Simon hears Jesus say after teaching hey let's go to the deep end of the lake and let's go fishing and Simon says to himself I've been out fishing all night we haven't caught a thing it's the wrong time of day. The fish aren't biting right now. It's the wrong time of day. And you're going to the middle of the lake, to the deep end of the lake. It's not going to happen. But because you say so, Jesus, I'll do this. Okay? So I'll do it, but I really don't want to. And I already know how this is going to end. Now, let me tell you, this is how Christians act too. I mean, believing in Jesus for heaven, and yet we will talk to God about, would you save my Aunt Sarah who has cancer? But we never talk to God about our business decisions or our financial decisions. Because you know what? Well, he, he wouldn't understand. He wouldn't know what it was like. 
uh, I need to make money, or I need to do this, I need to do business a certain way, because it's the way you do business here. And God says, no, I, I know how to do business. If you do it my way, you'd be a happier, but it would have a better ending if you would bring it to the Lord in prayer. It's as if he doesn't know or wouldn't understand. And that's where Simon Peter was. It, it happens even with me. I was praying over something once in the last year. This is your pastor. Confession is good for the soul. And I'm talking to God, and I'm going, oh, I am so grateful, Lord. You have no idea how grateful I am. That's an oxymoron. He knows. He knows how grateful I am, but he, he knows. Why do I say you have no idea? Because I'm that grateful. And I think he wouldn't understand. But he does understand. He does know. And so Simon Peter goes out to the deep end of the lake. Middle of the day after they've caught no fish. Verse 6. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Whoa, that's a lot of fish. And so they signaled their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. I have caught some fish in my life. Never so much that the boat was going down. This is incredible. And what does Simon Peter do? He falls at Jesus' knees, verse 8, and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am, I am too sinful to be around. I can't be in your presence. You know everything. You, you're, you're wonderful. And, and so, the, and so they, he says, get away from me. I have, I'm sinful. And for all of his companions were astonished at the catch that was taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. He, he, he has a remedy for this already. He already knows his way to his heart. He says, don't be afraid. You've been catching fish. Now you're going to catch fish, but you're going to fish for people. And so they pulled up their boats on shore, and they left it. They just, they walked away from it. Now, get this. Jesus leads courageously, even in the midst of that opposition, of his closest friends at the time, even though they don't get it, he still leads courageously. And, and it's, not, it's not arrogance, it's not stubbornness, it's not pride. It is a holy kind of boldness. And that's what I challenge you to, is a holy kind of boldness. A courage to speak even when others might not get it. It's a courage to act and act alone even when no one else stands with you. It's the kind of courage to think, and that's really where the battlefield is. It's in the mind. It's getting your head wrapped around it. So may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Psalm 51. Get your thinking straight and to value things the way God does, to embrace God's perspective, not the current business model, but God's perspective on this, and to believe when to believe God when even when it doesn't seem like this would make sense, because throwing the nets out in the middle of the day in the deep end of the lake does not make sense. And sometimes God calls you to believe the best in other people, and we resist, and He still prompts us, and He calls us to a kind of courageous faith. Let me just give you a little bit of an overview. In the weeks ahead, we, we plan to look at leading like Jesus with integrity and with self-discipline, to, to look forward at the potential of people, not to see them where they are, but where they could be. That's exactly where Jesus was that day. I, you've been fishing for fish. I'm going to have you fishing for people. You're, 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 you're going to make it, Peter. Just hang on to me. So it's in your, in your forward thinking, in your attitude, it's your vision, and even the way you treat other people and the way you invest in other people. And it doesn't really matter. 
how much you know, and you know this phrase, it doesn't matter how much you know until people know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you, your, your power isn't enough. You have to have compassion. And so you lead like Jesus, it means we're compassionate people. And at the end of the day, what happens? These guys pull their boats up on shore and they're full of, full of fish. I mean, think about it. It's a boatload of money, right? And they leave it to follow Jesus. Uh, chapter 5, verse 11. Let that soak in. Jesus leads people who will follow. And the question is, am I following? And right now you're saying, oh, but I trusted Christ when I was 12 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. I trusted Christ when... No, I'm not asking you, did you trust Christ? I'm asking you, are you following Christ? World of difference. Because he will lead you, but he will not force you to follow. Would you bow with me in prayer? My challenge to you is to follow courageously. One day you'll lead courageously, but it begins by following courageously. So dear God in heaven, regardless of what people do around us or what they think or the popularity of, of the moment, may we be the people who are known for courageous faith because we follow the courageous one. In his name we pray these things. Amen.